0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, April the 9th, 2022. It is currently 8.04 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And just a few minutes, a visitor walked in. Just a few minutes ago, a visitor walked in. No, it's an old visitor, a very, very old visitor, because our visitor is well over 500 years old, and he, well, he didn't really walk in. No, what happened is I I carried up the steps my copy of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, which was written over 500 years ago. So Thomas Akempis has arrived once again for another visit where we explore his book, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, which is a very, very famous book that's had massive influence in the history of Christianity. Not that we agree with his theology, because we would strongly disagree with much of Thomas Akempis' theology. However, for some weird reason, even though many would disagree with his theology, the book has influenced millions upon millions of Christians, and typically when they put collections together of some of the most influential books written in church history, The Imitation of Christ will show up at least on some lists. Not all lists, but on some List so we started. It's crazy. I, I don't have the the first the date for the first broadcast in front of me, but we started this years ago working through this book, and I don't think we're ever going to finish. I, I at, at times I get kind of discouraged. Now, let me, let me just explain. Well, you know, when when you start something like okay, this this is going to be fun. We're going to work on the Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis Sometimes I don't have the foresight. to know when I'm about to sneeze, okay? I had the foresight there. I had the foresight there to know that I was about to sneeze. So I, I was able to hit the mute uh, button just in time. All right. Okay, but welcome back. But I, I a lot of times when I start a series, I don't have the foresight to realize exactly how long this is going to take. I just get excited. Okay, this is a great idea. This is a great plan. Okay, I know how to convince everyone why this is important. And then we start, and then I start thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is going to take forever. Am I, am I sure I can pull it off? So there's a part of me that because this series has been going on for so long, there's a part of me that says, you know what? I should just stop. I should just not take up any time from the hundred of other hundred other things that we need to work on. The all the other programs and series that we're doing. No, I I just I just need to forget it. But then I look at it and I'm like, "No, we've made it. We've made it to book 2. I know that doesn't sound far. We've made it to book 2, chapter 8. I I can't just I can't just stop now. We we need to continue to press on. So I'm going to I'm going to stay committed and keep working on this series until we are done. I know there's a few of you who love it and there's a majority of you who don't. <laughs> okay. So, because I'll get the emails from some going, I love the imitation of Christ. Don't stop. And then I'll get for that one, I'll get 15 emails going, you know what? I, I, I don't like when you do the imitation of Christ, you're wasting time. You're taking time from other things. And it's like, how do I, I balance this out? And so the way I'm looking at it is I can't worry about numbers and I can't even really worry about emails. What I have to do here is is, is just for the sake I started it. I need to finish it because there's plenty of other things that I, I didn't finish. There's other things that I started and I stopped. So um, I, I think we need to continue to press on. So it's Saturday evening. I don't know where you are. don't know what you may be doing. But if you are listening live this evening, well, welcome. If you are not listening live, couple of things. If you would like to listen to us when we are live and be notified when we are going live, I would just recommend downloading the Church One app. That's Church O-N-E, Church O-N-E. Now, when you download the app, it's a generic app. So once you download it, you have to do a search for Theology, Theology Central, choose us, and then basically you will have the Theology Central app in your hands, and then make sure the notifications are on. You'll be notified whenever we go live, whenever we post new content. It is the app to use to keep up with all of our content. Now, you can also download the Spreaker app, and that will also allow you to listen live. Uh, but Church One may, may make it easier. I don't know. Well, Right now, we're promoting the Church One app. We're we, we trying to get our content on every platform under the sun. So at different times, we promote different ones. Right now, we're in a Church One promotion uh, status, all right? Uh, all right. <laughs> okay, someone, they're hanging out on their couch. With their spiritual pitfall, their puppy, okay, and uh, they're listening live. We do, I do appreciate that. I know it's Saturday evening; people have a lot of things to do. I, I, uh, I just got back from spending time taking a tour of this absolutely beautiful Episcopalian church. I know someone who is there; he, he's been setting up the soundboard for their live streaming. We talked about that earlier today, and so he invited me to come look at it. And man beautiful, beautiful building. I, I, I want to do a podcast about, about kind of, there's just a, some spiritual thoughts that were going through my head in regards to the building, but we, we won't do that right now. And then I came home and started working on a uh, Sunday school, which were in the book of Jude. And then I'm like, you know what? I need to do another live broadcast. So here we are. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Here we go. Thomas the campus. I mean, he, he, he just he just walked 500 miles. okay, now I'm joking 500 years ago, the, the, the popular song. I walked. okay, never mind. Okay. Here we go. Um, book two Book 2, chapter 8. Someone else is listening while doing laundry. There we go. So hopefully hopefully since everyone's got other things going on, I, let's get to it. I don't want to waste anyone's time. So let's jump right in. We're gonna, I'm not even going to review anything that we've done in the previous one. We are in the chapter called Familiar Converse with Jesus. Just please note a couple of things. Uh, basically, this idea of having a conversation with Jesus. Clearly, this chapter is greatly influenced by Catholic mysticism, which I believe in many cases I feel is a forerunner of the modern charismatic movement. Um, so I, I think that, uh, we, you need to be aware of that. So we've been, we've been working through all of it, but we're down to just not much to do left in this chapter, but we'll see if we can finish it. Chapter eight, book two, Thomas Kempis, the imitation of Christ, familiar converse with Jesus. We're calling the, this chapter, we're entitling all of the program, uh, episodes in this chapter conversations with Jesus. And, uh, here we go. He writes these words love. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, someone just said they're getting ready uh, for sleep because they can't stay awake 72 hours like some super folk. Well, it's not super folk. It's just I hate sleep. I I, I can't stand. I hate, 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 I hate sleep. I wish it did not exist. Okay. All right. That's a whole different podcast. Here we go. Thomas Akempis writes these words. Love all for Jesus, but Jesus for himself. Love all for Jesus, but Jesus for himself. Period. That's where the sentence, that's how the entire sentence reads. Love all for Jesus. But Jesus for Himself, I think one of the reason this I've I've carried this paperback of well I'm not going to carry this paperback around anymore because all the pages are falling out and we're with very little left. But if I ever get another paperback copy of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas a Kempis, one of the reasons I carried it around for so many years and would just pull it out whenever whatever chance I got is because of of, of things like this. And one sentence there is enough to contemplate literally for a good portion of your day, right? Just, just, Does anyone else found this extremely profound, and we can have like, you know, an hour-long discussion? Let me read it again. Love all for Jesus, but Jesus for himself. Everything we love, we should love everything, all things for Jesus. The reason I, we should love others, the reason we should love our enemies, the reason we should love ev- all people is for Jesus. Now, do we love people for Jesus or do we love people for our own benefit? Which then you can question, is that even love? right? I think a lot of times we love people, but, we, but the love is almost a, a, a means to an end. I love because of what I get in return. I love because it will benefit me. If I love this person, and then we will stop loving if we stop receiving. In other words, if that love doesn't get to the end we desire, which is something usually pleasing, beneficial for us, then our love tends to go away. We tend, uh, would, that would be a, p- a powerful question. Why do you love? Why do you love? You name whatever it is or whomever you may love. Why do you love them? Now, I think sometimes we can give a very spiritually sounding uh, answer, but I think it's a very important question. I think it's a very important question for us to consider because I think in many cases we may not love people for the right reason I, th- I think in some cases we can um I think some in some cases our love is tainted by our sin I, I think there's just I think that's just an uh, something we just kind of have to be honest with when we when we love people and we may pat ourselves on the back and say well you know the Bible says to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves and we and we feel for like five seconds that we actually have accomplished this in some way shape or form I think if we're honest we'll realize that typically our love, is greatly tainted. So why do you love whom you love? What's your real motivation in loving them? I think that's an important question. And do you love them for Jesus? What does it mean to love someone for Jesus? Now th- this is this is this book is perfect. Like when you have a bunch of people sitting around a table on a Saturday evening and asking people questions uh, because it would be interesting to get lots of perspectives on this. What does it mean to love for Jesus? Am I loving, f- like, how do we understand for, how do we understand that? Am I loving you? Like, you know, okay, there's Jesus and I'm going to love you for his benefit. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you for him. That I don't think that seems to work. I wonder if it means this, I'm loving you because of Jesus. Like, for there is because of. Like, I love you because of Jesus. The reason I love you is because of Jesus himself, because of Jesus' love for me. I'm loving you because of Jesus. In other words, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't love you. Right? It's interesting. If we remove God, if we remove Jesus— I wonder what is what is human love. Either love is we think of it this way, because this is very important. If, if I remove God and I remove Jesus, what is human love? Is it just a there there, there is a, a chemical reaction happening in our body where we feel something? We and it's just it's nothing more than basically a chemical reaction in the in the brain, a chemical reaction in the body. Are we loving people simply because love has a benefit to us? If I love people—now, not everyone—but if I love certain people, then there's a benefit to it. So I'm loving you because of what I get from it. But as a biblical perspective is, I love you because of Jesus. And when it, when when Thomas Akepa says, I love you for Jesus, he's saying, I'm loving you because of Jesus. In a sense, God is love. Jesus is the embodiment of that love in action. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He lo- For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is very much connected to this idea of love. So because I believe in Jesus, I look to him, I've received the love from him, I've received his mercy, I've received his grace, then I love others because of Jesus. I wonder if that's the right way to look at it. Like if I, if I, if I either, I love people either for me, in other words, I love you for what I'm going to get from it, or I love you because I have been confronted. I've been, I have received such love from Christ. I've encountered true love Therefore I love you. I don't know. If you have a thought here of what Thomas Kempis possibly means, love all for Jesus. And I think in fact, let me look here. I could be wrong. Let me let me verify something. Let me verify. Let me verify. Give me one second. If we look up the word for, um, with the object or purpose of, intended to belong to, to or to be used with connection with, suiting the purpose, or, okay, here we go, a conjunction is because, because of. All right, that's the way I was thinking of it. You can, I love Jesus for, in order to obtain or gain or acquire something, I love I love for Jesus, suiting the purpose or needs of, intended to belong to or to be used in connection with, with the object or purpose of. I love you for Jesus because Jesus is the object and the purpose of that love. I'm just trying to think of the different way for can be understood because I, I'm, I'm just trying to really understand exactly what Thomas Akimpus is trying to say there. And I don't think it's something that should just be, again, we have a tendency. To, to, some people would just read this and move on quickly, but I'm just I'm just struck by this. Love all for Jesus. I've got to love people for Jesus. I think it's because of Jesus. That's the way I see it. So, first thing, we have to love everyone for Jesus. I want you to think and contemplate that on this Saturday evening. I want you to just think about why you love people, and what it means to love them for Jesus. I want you to really just contemplate that. And then here's the next part. But Jesus, so I love others for Jesus, but when it comes to Jesus for himself. Do I love Jesus for himself? Not because not because of what he does, because of who he is. Do I love Jesus because Jesus should be the object of said love or do I love Jesus because I view Jesus as a means to an end? See I think I think we have the same I think we I think because of our sinful nature we see everything we love as a means to an end. I love people because it's a means to an end. I I I get something in return. It may make me feel happy, it may be joy, it may be security, it may be comfort, it may be, it it gets rid of loneliness, whatever the situation is, and then we we take that same concept, and now I'm going to love Jesus because of, well, what he gives me. Do I love Jesus, do I love people because of Jesus, and do I love Jesus, well, for himself, for who he is? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I this is where, <laughs> this is where, this is where. If I was, if I was speaking in front of everyone, I would, like, I would want the people to be going, "Whoa, that! Never thought of it this way. Whoa, this is convicting. Whoa, uh, whoa, this is, this is, this is pretty powerful stuff." What I, I fear would happen if I was doing this in front of people? I'd be getting that look like, "What are you talking about?" Like, they would look perplexed and confused. I hope no one is perplexed and confused because I think this is really powerful stuff here. Love all for Jesus, but Jesus for himself. All right, next sentence. Jesus Christ alone is singularly to be beloved. Jesus Christ alone is the single thing which is to be beloved. Of, of everything that is beloved, it should be Jesus alone. Now, wait a minute. What do we mean by that? Because we're supposed to love others. So what what does he mean by this? He goes on to say, He alone is found good and faithful above all friends. For him, um, okay, well, I, th- this is the way it's written. It's kind of written weird. Uh, okay. He alone is found good and faithful above all friends, period. Then it just has, For him and in him. Okay, it looks like a period after for him, but it isn't. For him and in him, comma, let both friend and foes be dear unto you. So it seems what he wants us to understand is that when it comes to Jesus, it should be a certain kind of love for Jesus that is drastically different than our love for everyone else. Now, I love everyone else because of Jesus, But my love for others should be very different than my love for him. My love for him, it it should be singular in the sense that it's different, that it's other, that it's distinct. There's a love for Jesus that, that cannot compare in any way, shape, or form to our love for anything else. Now, can we honestly say that? Do we love Jesus above all else? Um. Okay, so let both friends and foes be dear unto you. Friends and foes should be dear unto you because you are to love them just to love Jesus differently. And all these are to be prayed for that he would make them all to know and love him. We should pray for others that they would come to know and love Christ as, well, we are supposed to love him. Now, next paragraph. Next paragraph. Here we go. Never desire to be singularly commended or beloved, for that appertains only to God, who hath none like unto himself. Never desire to be singularly commended or beloved. You should not seek to be commended. You should not seek for praise. You should not seek for that, and you should not seek to be beloved. You should not desire to be loved. You should not desire to be commended or praised. And the reason Thomas Akempis says this is because for that appertains only to God. Only God should truly be commended and loved. And I think it's, again, he's trying to draw a distinction here. We are to love people, but it's this, I think it's a, 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 a certain kind of love. We, is it possible in our, in our sinfulness, in our, in our depravity, that in many cases we desire what should only belong to God? We, we want to be loved. Many people have a strong desire to be loved and liked by people. And they have a strong desire to be recognized and to be praised. And if they don't receive said recognition, they don't receive said praise, they don't receive a certain level of love and, or being liked by people, they, it can have a, pro, a profound negative impact on them. They can get discouraged. They can get depressed. They can get mad. They can get bitter. They can get hurt. I wonder if that's a part of our sinful nature where in some sense we desire to be, well, like God. God. And and how everything starts, right? If we go back to Genesis 3, right? We go back to Genesis 3, right? Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, Knowing good and evil, is there is there something in a sense as as a result of the fall? There's something. There's a godlike desire in all of us. There's a godlike desire in all of us, and we we want that love. We want that praise. We want that. I mean, I, I think I think we have to see where that shows up in us i think every person is different but i think it, it definitely is is present it's definitely there that's why so many people give into peer pressure they want to be liked they want to be they want to be well received they don't want to rock the boat they want to go along with everyone else that's a powerful statement here I never desire to be singularly commended or beloved. And I think the idea is, in other words, in a singular way, you don't want to be the one singularly commended and single, and 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 and, and, and you don't want to be the one who's receiving this singular commend uh, uh, praise or the singular love. In other words, you don't want to be the ultimate object of someone's praise or someone's love. Um, neither desire that the heart of any should be set on you nor set your heart on the love of any, but let Jesus be in you and in every good man. Neither desire that the heart of any should be set on you, nor set your heart on the love of any. Have you set your heart on the love of someone else? You want that love, you desire that love, you need that love. That that love almost becomes like a God to you, an idol. Next paragraph be pure and free within and not entangled with any creature. Okay yeah okay someone just said that 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 desire to be godlike is convicting. yeah I think I think it's there. I really do. I, I think that's kind of what Thomas Kempis is going at. like we want the praise, we want the love. we want that. We want to be right. We want to we want to win the debate. we want to win the argument. We want to be we want people to tell us we're right. We, we, we want people to apologize. we There's so much we want that I think is a godlike desire that maybe we want that which should only belong to God. I think, I think there's a little bit I think there's a little bit like that. I, I think there is. I'm trying to think of different ways it, 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 maybe maybe this will make sense. Maybe it will, maybe it will not. I won't even go in there because I'm going to illustration. I don't want us to to distract us. But I think there's something to that. All right, but this next uh, sentence for the next paragraph, be pure and free within And not entangled with any creature. Now this, you can definitely see kind of the Catholic theology coming through here. This idea of, you know, do it, do it. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to just make sure we understand none of us is ever going to be pure and free within. No, no. That is an impossible. I don't even know why this would be written in any Christian book but I can understand it from a Catholic perspective. You will never be pure and free within. You will never be pure and free within. You will never be pure and free within. The only way that would occur would require the eradication of the old nature and the complete removal of depravity. And I'm sorry, the old man stays inside of us. The sinful nature remains. I completely reject any theology that says it doesn't. So you're never going to be pure. You're never going to be free within. And it says, and not entangled with any creature. Well, I can understand the desire not to be entangled with any creature, but we get entangled with everything, the world, other people, with with so much. Now, I'm not making an excuse, but just when it says to be pure and free within... There's never going to be purity within, because impurity resides within me. I'm never going to be free within, because the old nature is there. That's why I completely reject the idea that as a Christian, you can do it. We did an entire podcast episode. No, you can't. The, the Christian motto is, I can't do it. Christ did it. That, that, that's that's the, the real issue here. You ought to carry your heart pure towards God. If you would be free from the world and see how good the Lord is. Well, I wish I could carry my heart pure towards God. I wish I could, but um, my heart's never going to be pure towards God. It's never going to be pure towards God because it, because because uh, um, it, it's just impossible. I, it's, it's just impossible. I, my heart is never going to be pure towards God, and I wish it could be, but it's just not. Uh, I, and it says, if we, if we would be free from the world and see how good the Lord is, if we would be free from the world and see how good the Lord is, we have to carry a pure heart towards God. Well, our heart's never going to be pure because our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Now, I know some Christians believe that no, 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 no. When you become a Christian, that's completely removed. And now you basically you're, you're now basically, you know, pure inside, but it's just, it doesn't work that way. It, It never, it never works that way. All right. They they go on to say, um, and truly, unless you be prevented and drawn by his grace, you shall never attain to that happiness. Well, I do agree there. Unless I'm drawn by his grace, I will never attain to that happiness. Uh, To empty yourself of all and take leave of all, that you may alone, that you alone may with him alone be made one. Well, again, that. That all sounds like something that happens in glorification. It's not going to happen in this life. He seems to act like that if you, that somehow we're going to be prevented from this entanglement. We're going to be drawn by his grace. We're going to attain this happiness and we can reach a place where we empty ourselves of all. We take leave of all that we may alone with him be made one. Well, that will happen in glorification. It's not going to happen in this life. Then he goes on to say, for when the grace of God comes unto a man, then he is, made, he is made able for all things. Here we are. We're back to this common teaching within Christianity. See, when God comes to you, now you're made able for all things. You're able to do it. But I, that's just not true. If we 2,000 years of church history should show we are not able to do it. We are unable. And now, and now please note, I want you to understand. See, for when the grace of God comes, you're able, and when the when when that grace goes away, then you're going to be poor and weak, as as it were, left only two stripes. Well, this is the whole Catholic idea that you can be in a state of grace, then you can lose the state of grace by committing a mortal mortal sin, and you need to try to get back into a state of grace. Yeah, this this has got Catholicism written all over it. But even with with Even within the evangelical world, the idea still is, oh, now that you're saved, you've got power, you can do it. And then we all demonstrate how much power we actually don't have over and over. In this case, he ought not to be cast down nor to despair, but at God's will to stand with even mind and whatsoever comes upon him to endure it for the glory of Jesus Christ. For after winter follows summer, after night the day returns, and after a a tempest a great calm. And that ends the chapter. That ends. It's just interesting he calls the chapter basically conversing with Jesus. But when you get down to it, it really kind of goes in a lot of directions. Remember, I've said so many times Thomas the writing at times can be maddening because it just feels like a stream of consciousness. It's just like, oh, here's a thought. Here's a thought. He doesn't explain the thought. He doesn't even build upon the thought. He just writes down one thought and then... It's almost like he's sitting there with a journal, oh, this is a good thought, and just leaves, and then comes back the next day and writes down another thought, and then comes back the next day, and it's like there's no real flow to it. So in some ways that's frustrating, but in other ways you can just read like one or two sentences and just sit there and meditate on that for six hours. So I guess the part that's most powerful to me is love all for Jesus, but Jesus for himself. That's really powerful. And then this idea, never desire to be singularly commended or beloved for that appertains only to God. That we should not desire what belongs to God. What, where, I, I guess this would be the point to really struggle with this evening. Where are those, how can I state it? I Hopefully you understand this. Where are, where in your life in your attitude, your thinking, and your emotions, do you find the presence of a desire to be like God? I think that I think that is very important. Uh, yeah, someone said I should write a book like book like that. I don't know. I I, I prefer just to do it sitting here in front of a microphone, right? So it, it's just easier. Now, if you look at my journal right here. It's a lot like that. It's just madness. Okay. It's just madness. Okay. But if you if you look at my journals, I've got hundreds of them. It's a lot like that. But typically they show up here sitting behind a microphone. So in some ways, some people say your podcast is a lot like that. It makes no sense. No, because usually I usually have lots of things to say. But I, so I want us to really think about this this evening. In you, where does this almost a desire to be like God, how does it manifest itself? I think I think it's a part of our sinful nature. Satan wanted to be like God. He he tempts Eve that, hey, God knows that if you eat this, you're gonna be like him. There there is I think there's something now Eve didn't have a sinful nature, but I, I think from that moment on, I'm gonna be like God. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, did Cain God didn't accept him? And so he was like, how dare you not? I, I should be accepted. I I shouldn't be rejected. My sacrifice shouldn't be rejected. And I say, is that not like I'm going to be like God and I'm going to kill the other person who was accepted over me because no one should be over me. I, I, think about how many, I wonder if we could say this. I always define sin as sin is the exaltation of I. Right? Sin is the exaltation of self. That's always defined sin that way. I wonder if sin is the outworking of an internal desire to be like God. We have the sin nature in us, and the sin nature gives us a God complex. And we may not say, I want to be God. But I wonder if there's a, it, that every time we sit, every issue, I wonder if what we're doing is a demonstration that we're trying to be like God. I don't know if that completely works, but the reason we do this this way is, I like to just, I mean, the whole, is to start thinking and meditating on it. Just, just think about today, anything that happened in your life today. If you think back about it, do, do you see a little bit of this godlike desire manifesting itself? Sin is the exaltation of I, but is sin the outworking of the internal desire to be like God, to be sovereign, to be supreme, to be praised, to be loved, to be pleased, to be glorified, to be declared to be right. I mean, think about it. When we usually get in a fight with someone, we get mad and we keep fighting and fighting and arguing because we want to be right. Isn't that a, a God-like desire? I want to be right and I'm going to prove you wrong. And how dare you question me? I wonder if all of our problems is, 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 it arises from a sinful nature that says, you're God, you're God. You're God. Now, we won't say that, but I wonder if it's something inside of us going, you're God, you're sovereign, you're right, you're perfect, you should be praised, you should receive that, you should get that, you deserve that. I don't know. I, I'll just I'll just leave it there and let everyone think about it this evening. You can email me all of your thoughts to newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Yeah, there, there's more we could say there, but I'm just going to say, I got to really, I got to really, I got to try to flesh this out a little bit. I know that maybe not even really the purpose, maybe, maybe it wasn't even the focus for what Thomas Aquinas was trying to say, but I think it's a focus that we not, we don't need to ignore. So let's, let's not forget this. I think it's very important, but you can email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com. Those on YouTube, you can leave it in the comment section. I will definitely try to check them out. And uh, yeah, Yeah. you can let me know what you think. You can email me again, newsif at yahoo.com. I hope that was beneficial. We finished the chapter, and the next chapter that we deal with will be, hopefully, maybe tomorrow afternoon we can get to one, will be, um, let's see here, the next chapter is Want of All Comfort, Chapter 9, Book 2, Want of All Comforts. want of all comforts. Okay. There you have it. Everyone have a great night. God bless.